Holy cow, what a full show we have today. Um, we are going to be talking about uh, Devin Archer and going over the interview that he just did with Tucker Carlson. Then we follow it with Jim Jordan. Um, he is looking into some new things and uh, also seems to have uh, a, um, an inquiry into the sweetheart Hunter deal, uh, the plea deal. He's looking into that and wants some additional information. There's more shoes to drop in the Hunter Biden investigation. Then we talk to Chadwick Moore. He is the author of Tucker, a new biography on uh, Tucker Carlson that you don't want to miss a second. Also, Jonathan Isaac, the NBA basketball player for the Orlando Magic. He's the author of Why I Stand and... He is uh, launching a new clothing line, shoe line called Unitas. We talked to him about investing in products that celebrate our values. All that and so much more on today's podcast. Brought to you by Preborn. One of these days, maybe in our lifetime, it's possible we'll see the abolition of abortion. And the history books of our future will write about the generational trauma, the breakdown of families, the destruction of basic morality, and how one day it all came to an end. But for now, we're still in that fight. And the Ministry of Preborn stands every day for the helpless among us by providing free ultrasounds and postnatal help for up to two years. They're helping move the needle tremendously. When an expecting mom hears the baby's heartbeat for the first time, she sees the baby on the ultrasound. The chances are she'll choose life for that baby and the chances double. Be a part of that. Someday when people ask what you did when all of this was still going on, you can confidently say, I helped save a life through preborn. It's about the price of a dinner. One ultrasound is $28. $28 to save a life. Just dial pound 250, say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Glenn. That's preborn.com slash Glenn. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Let's go to Jim Jordan. Hello, Jim. Hey, Glenn. How are you? Very good. I, you know, I was having dinner with a couple of friends last night, and we, your name came up, and we are so grateful that you got the job that you did, uh, and and you're doing just an amazing, amazing work. You really are. So thank you for that. Well, you're well, you're doing you're doing great work. We appreciate that. So uh, keep it up too. Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on. Let's start with the inquiry yeah. into the sweetheart uh, deal. Tell me about yeah. that. Well, the judge smelled a rat. Uh, and, and, you know, the key part of that transcript, I would encourage all your listeners to read that transcript because you can, like, you, get, you know how you read this, you get inside the mind, yeah. see what the back and forth is like. And it was, uh, and it was um, particularly when they, she asked, has there ever been a deal like this before? Is, this, is, this <laughs> un, uh, is, this, is there any precedent for this? And, the, and the, <laughs> the government lawyer, the DOJ lawyer says, no, Your Honor. Never been a deal like this, because what they tried to do was put the, I think, this sort of immunity agreement they had with the handshake and a wink between the defense attorneys and, and the DOJ attorneys. They put it in the, in the diversion part of the agreement, not in the plea deal itself, which the judge has to sign off on the plea deal. And she asked the right question. She Jeez. stopped it. And I think uh, that that sort of says it all. And then you couple that yeah. with what we learned with David Weiss and the, the fact that he has said three different things 
in a five-week time frame three different letters about what he can and can't do. His story keeps changing. The IRS whistleblower yep. story that came forth, their, their testimony was consistent and, frankly, validated by an FBI witness we also deposed. So th- that, to me, I think just, just, just shows uh, how, how wrong this agreement was and why the judge says, time out, time out. We're taking 30 days. We're going to get this right if we're going to do it at all. Jim, be more generous than Mother Teresa would be on this on the answer to this question. <laughs> the the I mean, try to really give the benefit of the doubt here. The press keeps saying, you know, the, all these accusations, but so far there's been no evidence of any wrongdoing. Um, well, boy, I'm having a hard time with that. I mean, it seems to be mountains of evidence. Well, l- how would you describe the, the evidence? Well, I would say this. Think about think about what witnesses have said. So, uh, first, you have Tony Bobolinsky, two and a half years ago, business partner of Hunter Biden, saying that that email that says that the big guy, ten percent for the big guy, that in fact is Joe Biden. We know that email came from the laptop that the FBI has now admitted is real. Even they knew it was real at the time and didn't tell us, but they've now admitted that the laptop is real. We know it is real. So you have that. Then you have the WhatsApp message where. Uh, from that, which says, um, Hunter Biden says, I'm sitting by my dad, send the money or else, basically. Uh, then you have the 1023 form, which you have the folks from Burisma saying, confidential human source, saying he's talked to foreign nationals who talk about this, this, this payment for policy decisions. And then, of course, you have the testimony we got Monday from Devin Archer, where right. he talks about the meeting in Dubai, December 4th, 2015, the meeting in Dubai between Archer, Hunter Biden, Zolachevsky, and Pazarski. Zolachevsky and Pazarski are the guys who run Burisma. They say in that meeting with the two guys, Archer and, and Hunter Biden, they say we need the U.S. government to get involved. We're under all kinds of pressure, pressure from the Ukrainian prosecutor, pressure in Great Britain where they've seized 23 million of our assets. We've got all kinds of pressure five days later, literally five days later. Joe Biden is in Ukraine. He gives a speech criticizing the prosecutor in Ukraine, which begins to lay the foundation for what happens a few months later, which is where the prosecutor is fired in order for Ukraine to get the one billion dollars. So that, those are the things that keep kind of piling up, not to mention the suspicious activity reports, the number of different companies moving money in and out of and paying all kinds of Biden. Correct. With that money. They keep so, they I keep saying that Joe Biden. It, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, 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 the Democrats say this, this, this illusion of access, that sure doesn't look like an illusion. It looks like some pretty, pretty yes. compelling facts right. to me. They keep saying that Joe Biden doesn't, hasn't gotten any money, which I haven't seen any proof that he has gotten any money. However, we do know that Hunter was paying dad's bills. We know that Hunter said in uh, text on the laptop to his, the rest of his family, dad takes 50% of what we earn. We know that the shell corporations that have no, they have no experience in any of the stuff that they were doing as a family. And we know the money was going in suspiciously earmarked uh, by the banks as looks like money laundering. We know all of this. Yeah. How difficult is it to tie it together legally? Yeah. It, it, you know, the, 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 one of the things that came out after the Devin Archer uh, interview on Monday was the Democrats said, well, you know, there was these multiple times where Hunter Biden puts his dad on the phone and it's with business partners and, and clients and people they're doing business with. 
but they never really talked about any, they never talked about business. Well, I didn't expect them to, for goodness sake. I think the key was what, what Devin Archer testified Correct. to. He said the value Hunter Biden brought to the business arrangement was the Biden brand. And the Biden brand, he was clear about this, the Biden brand is Joe Biden. And so, of course, he's not going to talk about business. He's going to put, hey, guys, say hello to the vice president. Hey, guys, my dad wants to say hello to you. That was the value in and of itself right there. And, of course, the White House's story has changed, just like David Weiss's story has changed. The White House said, no, the president had no involvement, never talked to, never was involved, didn't know anything about it. And, of course, that story has changed now over time as well. Now, is there any chance, uh, again, be Mother <laughs> Teresa, is there any chance that the sitting vice president um, calls in and is introduced to a meeting of the leaders of Burisma and he's in charge of trying to get corruption ended and he doesn't know that one of the guys that leads Burisma is one of the most violent oligarchs in Ukraine. (laughs) Any chance that he didn't know that? I don't think so because our state department knew that our state department initially had concerns about Burisma and Hunter Biden's involvement that came out in the impeachment, the crazy impeachment they tried on president Trump four years ago. Back in uh, back in 2019. And oh, by the way, that meeting in Dubai on December 4th, 2015, there was also a phone call. Now, this is interesting how Devin Archer explained this. He said there was a phone call, but he wasn't a part of that phone call. He was on a different part of the hotel, a different part of the deck, he said. And they were on another part of the deck there at the Four Seasons. And there was a phone call to D.C. We don't know who it was to. Devin Archer said, I don't know who it was to. But it was to D.C. So was it to Joe Biden? We don't know. Mr. Archer wouldn't testify to that. He did. He said he didn't know. Um, but it was to D.C. And, of course, we'll, we'll okay. have to try to figure that one out. So dad just calls in once in a while or he or, um, you know, the son calls dad during dinner meetings uh, over in Ukraine or in Europe. If he's having dinner over in Europe, uh, dinner meetings, it's probably eight, nine o'clock over in Europe. Is is dad just uh, awake calling his son at three o'clock in the morning or I I mean, the time difference is never talked about here. Yeah, no, that's an interesting take. And yeah, I would say like what Dubai would probably be like a nine hour difference, I'm guessing. And yeah, called DC. Yeah. So if it's late at night, I guess it could. Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably early, certainly early in the morning. Uh, I don't know. I oh, don't, yeah. That, that's something that yeah. probably in the course of our investigation, we'll have to we'll have to dig into a little bit more as well. Um, um, but yeah, you're 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 exactly right. It makes us now. But there was also understand there was also meetings in D.C., with um, dinner meetings with Correct. Uh, Hunter Biden and his business partners, the Cafe Milano in Georgetown, as Mr. Archer testified to this mm-hmm. as well. There are meetings in D.C., mm-hmm. I think 2014, 2015, and one of those dinners, and Joe Biden was there for the whole dinner. It wasn't just a drop-by. Um, you know, It wasn't just like, like the phone call, hey, say hello, where he drops by, shakes some hands and leaves. Mr. Archer said he stayed for the entire dinner. And in one of those dinners, of course, you have Elena Baterina, who was the wealthiest woman in Russia, uh, wife of the uh, former mayor of, of Moscow, who had paid Hunter Biden significant, several million dollars, and she's there for the entire dinner as well. So that, I think, is is, is interesting, interesting fact. Uh, and that's something sure. that they said he, he didn't do, but of course, Mr. Archer said, Correct. yes, in fact, he was there for the entire dinner. One more thing. There was a, an interesting article written by uh, Joel Pollack that I saw this morning that they are talking uh, that that we should be pushing 
to have Congress uh, uh, nullify the first impeachment of Donald Trump because yeah. the whole thing was he was trying to, you know, get the president of Ukraine to look into what the dirty dealings were. And they said that was dirty dealing. And it yeah. looks now like, no, there was a really good reason to ask for that. It sure does. And we suspected that at the time. <laughs> it sure does. And yep. I'm I'm all for the the expungement. Uh, I think it's uh, Congresswoman Stefanik, and and I forget who else is sponsoring that. But uh, yeah, we should we that, that I'm I'm totally for that. Um, but yeah, th- th- it's always amazing. It, and remember, that was an impeachment based on an anonymous whistleblower with no firsthand knowledge, who was who had a bias, seen bias against the president, and who had previously worked for Joe Biden. That was the source that we couldn't know this whistleblower. No, he couldn't. He couldn't testify. Um, Compare that to Gary Shapley and Mr. Ziegler and how they stood up under pressure in a hearing, how their story has not wavered. Their testimony has been consistent. Their story has their testimony has been backed up by an FBI agent. Compare the two. And they tried to impeach a president. So, of course, we should do that. So the, the last question, compare this to Nixon better or worse for joe biden than the trouble nixon was in well i think i think the key is we just got to keep doing our job and our our job our constitutional duty frankly is to provide oversight do oversight do the investigation to get the facts because the facts influence what kind of legislation you propose and pass and implement uh what you do with the appropriations process and how these agencies are funded just continue to do our job Bring the facts forward. Let me point out one thing that, that has happened because of, of oversight we've done. It's a different area, but I think it's important, Glenn. Remember when we found out Matt Taibbi was testifying in front of our committee. Democrats were trying to yes. get divulge sources. He, he, he gives them a lecture in the, in the First Amendment, for goodness sake. At the very moment he's testifying, and he's being attacked. A Democrat, by the way, by mm-hmm. the way, a Democrat member of the, of the press being attacked. The IRS is knocking on his door. Did you see what the IRS announced two weeks ago? And we made a big deal of this. We, we, we dug into We found out there was a dossier on Taibbi. They were looking, before they went to his door, they were looking, did he have right. a field carry permit? What was his voting record? We find out the IRS makes a change. The IRS says we will no longer be sending agents unannounced visits to Americans' homes. That doesn't happen but for us doing our duty, doing the oversight work we're supposed to do. Now, of course, the IRS says, oh, we're, 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 we did this for agent safety. Bull roar. They did it because they caught him playing this kind of game. And it, it wasn't right. just Taibbi. We, we had a person in Ohio where they did this, and the person came to her door and used an alias. He tried to pretend he was somebody else. And the local police thought it was a scam. They were getting ready to arrest the guy. And it turned out he's an IRS agent. So, yeah, but, and, and they try to say it's because they're concerned about their agent safety. Give me a break. It was because they were harassing the American people. That's, that's why you do oversight, because it can affect real change. Uh, Jim, uh, I uh, I'd like to talk to you off air. Uh, some things are uh, things are happening uh, in my world that uh, sure. probably should be heard. Um, some some really dirty business is going on. Um, so yep. I'd like to bring it to your attention off air. Um, yep. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate everything you're doing. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Let's get right to Chadwick Moore. Chadwick is the author of Tucker, uh, the new book that is out. Welcome, Chadwick. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. 
You bet. You bet. So let's talk a little bit about how this came about, the biography. Sure. It was we began early last spring uh, in in 2022. Uh, Basically, my publisher called me up and said we want to do a book about Tucker Carlson. We think he's the most important and influential voice in American politics today. And they wanted me to write it. And uh, very honored and flattered. And I called up Tucker and, uh, you know, at first he sort of was like, oh, I don't you know, I'm not very interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) I don't think anyone want to read this book. (laughs) Uh, and then, you know, I'd been on his show right. for many, many years and, and we knew each other that way. And, and, you know, he, he sort of said, you know, well, I read your columns all the time. And I love your writing and yeah, let's go for it. Why not? And from there we were, we were off to the races. Now you spent about a hundred hours with him up at his home in Maine and in Florida. What was, what was the thing that maybe surprised you the most about his, his life? I think, you know, it's the fact that he isn't someone who can just talk about politics all day long. You know, he's very, his interests are very yeah. wide ranging and deep. And, and his level of um, the, the extent he goes to to humble himself and to remind himself that he is not God, uh, which is, you know, something right. that he sort of reminds himself all the time was, you know, really impressive and kind of a wonderful thing to, to get to know about him. Uh, you know, he's, uh, someone who he's, he's very spiritual without having overt uh, theocratic language and, and, and theology taught to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is very spiritual, and he does really see the current political paradigm as one versus as good versus evil, uh, which I think sort of you know frightens a lot of people in mainstream conservatism. So he is um, uh, he's going through a spiritual awakening that unlike I've seen uh, very often. Uh, he's reading the Bible every day. He is praying about it every day. Um, and like you said, he, there's no um, dogma behind it. He is just going through an, an awakening. Were you around uh, for that? Because I think that's relatively new. Yeah, it does seem relatively new. He was raised Episcopalian, uh, which he sort of says, you know, he's not even sure if that's a Christian Christian religion anymore with the direction that the church has gone. <laughs> but I, I, I certainly um, saw that part of him, for sure. And he, um, you know, just the way he talks about the world, um, you know, and and uh, something, you know, if you talk, something about, you know, climate change, for example. He's very passionate about the environment, the actual environment, not the green whatever yeah. is going on. But the way he would speak of the environment and, and basically man's feebleness when it comes to something like controlling the weather, which can extend into, you know, man's feebleness really in controlling many things in the world. Um, You know, there was a very spiritual language and motivation behind that and the way that he is now seeing the world. And and I certainly got to see that and and to write about it. You were there when he uh, left Fox. um, And Tucker and I have talked about it, that I think it's very interesting. In the end, uh, with me, one of the things that Fox was very clear about was stop talking about god and at the end with tucker he is he is talking more and more about what's happening in spiritual terms and i know that drives murdoch crazy do you think that played a role in in his exit so there was plenty of speculation about that. It may have been one of the many reasons why they wanted to get rid of him. Uh, interestingly, uh, back in February, uh, this most past February, 
Tucker had had dinner with Rupert Murdoch and his then fiance, and that his fiance right. had described Tucker as a messenger from God to Rupert. People around Rupert had reported that that freaked him out. He didn't like that. That may have added to it. And 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 uh, the, just the weekend before he. Uh, his show was taken off the air. He gave a speech to the Heritage Foundation, and he was speaking in Correct. terms of, of, of religiosity. And he used, you know, the words good and evil when describing what was happening in American politics. Um, and, and people have been saying for many years, and, and as you just said, that, 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 you know, talk of God and Christianity really freaks out the Murdochs. Um, so that certainly could have contributed to it. So when you have um, uh, Tucker and he's, you know, you're with him at Fox, um, I take it he was quite surprised uh, when they called him in and said, you're leaving, correct? Yes, he was, for sure. Um, he, it, uh, it, the day it happened, April 23rd, happened to be the six-year anniversary of his show moving into the 8 p.m. time slot. And when Suzanne Scott, mm. the president of Fox News, called him up uh, that day, he thought that she was calling to congratulate him on the anniversary. And instead, she simply said, uh, we're taking your show off the air, goodbye. They still have not given him an official explanation. He's still an employee of Fox News, as we're speaking. And, uh, you know, I got to interview him a couple times after that moment. Um, and uh, he was certainly shocked. Uh, and his entire team was. Um, and uh, but he, you know, he knows he hasn't done anything wrong. He told me that, you know, if he had done yeah. something wrong, if he'd embarrassed himself or embarrassed his family, he'd feel badly. But he can't feel badly because um, he didn't do anything wrong as far as he can see. The day he was uh, the show was canceled, he was planning on talking about Ray Epps. Is that a coincidence? It's it's difficult to say. I, I saw his monologue that he planned to read on air that day. It was um, heavily about Ray Epps and about January 6th. It was also, uh, in, a, in a darkly ironic turn, it was about um, AOC and other members of government demanding that his show being taken off the air. Uh, they AOC had gone on MSNBC that weekend to basically say that Tucker should be arrested for uh, spreading misinformation or whatever word she's using. Mm. Um, and uh, he, he was, you know, the only person in mainstream media that was really digging into all of these strange uh, activities that happened on January 6th and really trying to investigate if the, the federal government was playing a role in that. Uh, and, and also the, this, this strange character, Ray Epps, who has been not been arrested and has been um, paraded around mainstream media as some kind of hero. Um, so that was one of many, a handful of issues that he was probably making a lot of enemies in very powerful places. And it certainly could have contributed to or been the reason why his show was taken off the air. So there, the Devin Archer interview that he did last night on Twitter or X or whatever you're supposed to say now. Um, did you see that? I did. Yes. Okay. He, I think he played this expertly. Most people don't know. And I, I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't mean this in the way I would normally mean this. Um, Tucker grew up as a Washington elite. He knows that circle really, really well. Yet he is, when you get to know him, he is anything but the elite, I think, in many ways. He is, uh, he's just a normal guy. Um, but he used his knowledge i thought unbelievably well and he was almost he got devin archer to to almost laugh about like we both know what's going on and that led to some pretty shocking revelations last night 
Um, am I reading him right on that? I think you, you really summed it up beautifully. That's sort of exactly what we watched happen. And it's interesting that the D.C. media wouldn't really find that stuff newsworthy. Either they want to protect people, they don't want to report on it, but they wouldn't find it newsworthy because they live in that world and it's so normal to them. Uh, Tucker realizes that that it is normal to those people. It's not normal to 330 million Americans who live outside of D.C., and this is actually interesting. Uh Um, And Uh and he drug that out of, of, of Devin Archer so masterfully and wonderfully. It was really something uh, spectacular to watch. So the former head writer for Tucker um, just tweeted, Fox News decision to ignore Tucker's interview with Devin Archer's infuriating employees who still believe in covering news. Quote from one host, are you effing kidding me? How do we not cover this? He got Hunter Biden's business partner to casually admit all on a Twitter video. Another top Fox source says the amount of agitation in this building over not being able to use any of Tucker and Devin Archer's sound. Just tons of groaning and cursing from producers and a couple of anchors that it's gold and we're not allowed to touch it, use it or refer to it. They also didn't cover uh, the uh, the interviews with all of the candidates, which I think was game changing. Um, You know, I was sitting uh, there at the anchor desk watching him on stage as we covered it at the blaze. And universally, it was this is game changing. Totally game-changing. And it was Tucker. Where is, what is happening at Fox? Is there, is there more? There's speculation that he did an uh, interview with Trump that they never aired, that he had other things from January 6th that they never allowed aired. Is any of that true? That, that Blaze Media Summit from Iowa was such amazing television or, or broadcasting, whatever we're calling it, on the Internet. And I was watching yeah. that, and I felt like even the quality of the commentary was so far beyond anything you would have ever seen on mainstream media. All the commentators were so smart and funny. And I'm, I'm not just trying to, you know, butter you up. I really mean this, uh, and I have a point. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Thank it, you. <laughs> um, it, it, was, it was these commentators speaking on the level of Republican voters, like, like they're having drinks with them at a bar. And you, it made me realize that you would yeah. never see that level of connection with voters on Fox or mainstream media. So that felt like a huge never. turn in independent media eclipsing mainstream media. And then uh, with Fox being, nobody on Fox is allowed to say the T word, Tucker. And, and I know that from, right. you know, I got kicked off Fox after I wrote this book. And it was, uh, the <laughs> fact that they, he's breaking news now and they can't talk about it is so funny to watch. It's amazing. With, with the stuff that, that Tucker did, so um, there's a bunch of interviews people are talking about. As far as I understand it, you know, Fox News owns that. It's their property. So I don't think he can do much with it. But, uh, you know, there's certainly lots of uh, more January 6th reporting that they had that uh, they're not able to show. Tucker's not able to show on Twitter because Fox owns it uh, and several other interviews related to that. Um, it's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing to watch how this is all unfolding and how Fox has really crippled themselves. Uh, yeah, I think they're I think they're over. I mean, it, I've never seen anything burn down so fast as uh, as this. Well, other than, other than the Biden presidency, um, you <laughs> you talk about in the book uh, that Tucker emphasizes and I'm just going to quote you here, the importance of having people around who see him as a person rather than a television personality. Who were those well, those people? 
Well, it, you know, he's become such a, a caricature in, in, in the right, or on the, on the left as a sort of demonic force of all evil. And on the right, he's also, uh, the establishment right, sort of portrayed as reckless and dangerous. Um, but, you know, you get to know him in his personal life, and, you know, his, his relationship with his wife Susie is, is really sort of a storybook, uh, as, as storybook as it could get. They're so in love with each other. It's so lovely to watch them interact with one another, as I got to many times. And, you know, they met when they were in high school and they're 15 years old and they've been together ever since. Uh, and, you know, Tucker has surrounds himself with, with people he can trust his, his whole team at Fox. Uh, there was no, um, backstabbing there. Were, you know, everyone trusted one another. They really loved one another. Uh, nobody was out to subvert anyone else, uh, which is, which is rare in media and especially in television. Um, and it, probably because he was such a good leader and they really believed in what he was doing. Uh, another reason why half the team voluntarily left Fox when he was, when his show was taken off the air, the other half was um, uh, unceremoniously fired in one fell swoop uh, last month. Um, but he uh, it really makes it on the it day on the day of the uh, Blaze Summit. It, it, he was making all kinds of news, and that was the day they marched everybody out after the show. It, it, I mean, it's. Uh, it was brutal. It was brutal. We're talking to uh, Chadwick Moore. He is the author of the new book, Tucker, uh, it, which was done with Tucker's knowledge uh, and a real great inside look. Easy to read, really well written. An inside look of Tucker Carlson. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Excited to have Jonathan Isaac on with us. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? Hey, Glenn, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. It is great to have you uh, back. I wish uh, I wish we were speaking in person uh, just so I could tower over you and make you feel small. <laughs> but maybe that's maybe that's just me. Uh, so, Jonathan, tell me about Unitas and what you've done. Yes. Unitas is a values based alternative to sports and lifestyle leisure wear apparel. And very simply for me, values matter. I've been saying it for a long time. And as companies and corporations, especially in the sportswear field, continue to move farther away from godly principles and values and constitutional principle values, I thought it was time to create an alternative and give freedom-loving Americans, faith-loving Americans, the option to buy with their values. So you're making uh, leisure wear, sportswear, your shoes. What is that? What's out right now? And where do I get it? Appreciate you. Right now, we did our first kind of leisure wear drop, which is like hoodies, sweatpants, sweatshirt, T-shirts. Um, and that's just what it's going to be for right now. And you can head to WeAreUnitus, U-N-I-T-U-S, WeAreUnitus.com. But we have big dreams about where we're going to go. I want to be in every single field, every sport. Um, I want you to be able to go from some of these other companies and get everything full in-house from Unitas. I'm going to be dropping a sneaker, a basketball sneaker that I'll be wearing this upcoming season, a bit closer to the season time, so September, October, and also our first line of sportswear, sports bras, leggings, tank tops, uh, shorts, things like that. So we're, we got a lot of things on the cusp, but I'm excited about the launch and how we're doing so far. I have to ask you, Jonathan, just because I've learned a lot from the Smithsonian and the time to ask is when it's happening and not years after. Uh, that was what the American, uh, the, the guy who heads the American History Museum said to me. Um, I would love for my History Museum. I don't know if you if you know this or if you came through our uh, History Museum, 
but uh, we have we're only surpassed by the National Archives and the Library of Congress when it comes to founding documents. And we have expanded so much into all kinds of things that are game changing in the United States. And I think what you're doing is truly game changing. You, You are taking on the biggest industry i mean you're going you know head to head with nike and adidas and everybody else i think what you're doing is game changing may i get for the museum a prototype or a first you know edition of your shoes to be able to put into the museum right next to the nike betsy ross flag uh uh shoes that they pulled off the market 1,000%. I I definitely got you with that without a question. That's great. That's great. Um, So tell me, I mean, I love the fact that you say uh, Unitas, it starts with you, ends with us, but it does have knit right in the middle, which I don't know what means, but uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I love your slogan, begins with you and ends with us. What does that mean to you? What, What it means to me is community. Um, I've been through a few things when it came to standing in the bubble and being the only one on my team to not get vaccinated. I know what it's like to stand alone or feel like you're standing alone. And I know that in today's day, there are so many Americans that feel the same way, but don't have the platform that I have or don't have the people around them um, that are encouraging them to stand up for what they believe in. So Unitas for me is uniting all of these people um, no matter what color you are, no matter what you do, if you understand the value and necessity of these values and you want to see them represented in the marketplace and the culture, then Unitas is for you. And I want you to become a part of this community. So when you're out and about and you see somebody wearing Unitas, you know that that person gets it. You know that they stand for the same values that they stand for. Um, You may disagree on other things or, or maybe not, but you know that they have a foundation in faith family and freedom. And that's the community that I'm trying to build. So it starts with you. And I'm hoping that as time goes on, we're able to build this infrastructure of people ending with us. So in 2020, you were the lone NBA player not to kneel for the national anthem. And then we have COVID and you wouldn't take the vaccine. How scary of a time was that for you? (laughs) It It was terribly scary. And you know, it's, it's died down a bunch now, but every time I think back about those time periods, it really was crazy. There was so much going on. There was so much hysteria. It was so polarizing. Um, and I'm just glad that I had the people around me to give me the confidence and trust that I was doing the right thing. I knew that true change wasn't going to come through an organization. It wasn't going to come through a party. Um, I felt that it was truly going to come through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we could have real change if we all could see, look, we all fall short of God's glory. And the answer is to love. And so I decided to stand up and, and say that. And it, it, <laughs> I got tons of negativity for it, but the positivity that showered from it was amazing. And people understood where I was coming from. And so I was excited about that. And the same thing with the vaccine. Um, I tried my best to be thoughtful and clear about my position and how I felt that everyone should have the free choice to decide what they want to do with their bodies when it comes to to the vaccine. So, you know, you look now at what's happening with the vaccine. The Pentagon just did a a study and they show that, um, uh, what is it, carditis, uh, 
Stu, what is that uh, heart condition? Myocarditis. Myocarditis, yeah. And they said that in the with the military, they found an extraordinary uh, out-of-whack number with young people who have myocarditis, not after the first vax, but after the second vax, it went through the roof. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing young athletes now, people who are really healthy. And I know this has happened in the past. I mean, it's, it is, it's not common, but it does happen. But now you're seeing all of these sports figures and all of these young athletes. Is this out of whack or is it just that we're noticing it? No, I, I would say it's out of whack. I would say it's 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 extremely unfortunate given the way that COVID and everything was handled. Um, I know that there are plenty of people that feel, uh, I guess, robbed in a sense and and let down because of the things that are happening. Um, and who knows? You know, people are talking about it. Could it be? Could it be? Could it have been COVID? Could it have been the vaccines? I know you just talked about it being a spike after the second shot. Um, you know, I'm not yeah. one to just lay blame and say it is what it is, but I do think right. that as time goes on, there is going to be a mass, uh, I would say, just reckoning for what happened um, and the way that yeah. things were handled, the pressure that people were under to get vaccinated. Um, and I think it is a disservice to the American people for what happened. So back to your product, Unitas, you are making shoes and or soon to be shoes, but uh, sports clothing, sweats, T-shirts, polos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you're doing it on your own. You I assume you don't have any big or do you have any big outlets that are coming to you and saying, hey, we want we want to be a pariah and stand with you. Uh, do you have any? big outlets or is it all on online not yet it's definitely something that i'd be open to but right now we are just direct to consumer at weareunitis.com um and i i have again big dreams about where we could go i definitely want to have the opportunity to sponsor for colleges and and high schools and things like that as we move forward who knows Mm. um but i'm just kind of taking it one step at a time there are plenty of christian catholic um universities and high schools and stuff so we're working on it but right now it is just me and you know we're looking for you know people to come on board and help support and if a if a big outlet wants to take us um to have them in their stores we'd be open to it my son has just become a uh college football coach um which is shocking because i barely even know what football is but um (laughs) uh i i I, I would love to, and I'll foot the bill. I would love to outfit uh, his team and the coaches with your product. If they would do it, I don't know if they would do it, but I would love to outfit his, his team on that. Um, the, oh, wow. You are taking on, you're taking on everybody. And then you're also not making anything in China. Everything has to be ethically made. Um <laughs> I know because I started a clothing company years ago. That's really almost suicidal to do that. It is so hard to get things of quality made at a reasonably price at a, as a, at a reasonable price. How are you doing that? It, it is very. And why difficult. are you doing it? Um, yeah. So for me, I'm not necessarily. In a sense, I say like an absolutist in terms of like, because at the end of the day, all of us in some way, shape or form use things that are produced in China. 
And so I'm not necessarily oh, yeah. from the standpoint of, okay, we can never use anything in China. It, it's, it's just, it's very hard to do. For me personally, when it came to Unitas, I had my own conviction that I did not want to manufacture anything in China. That was, that was my choice. And I decided to go that route. Does it make everything exponentially harder? Yes. Does it make producing the clothes harder? Um, absolutely. But it was something that I wanted to do. And so when it comes to the sneakers, I um, got hooked up with a company called Soulworks, and they were able to find a, an ethically um, operating factory in Vietnam when it came to sneakers. And so that's where we're at right now when it comes to sneakers. We are sourcing clothing material out of Peru um, and, uh, and Turkey, and everything is being embroidered and stitched in the United States and Chicago. And so it does wow, make everything it does make everything much harder to produce, and we're working on finding ways to, to mitigate some of those costs and things like that. And it's going to take some time, um, but I, I think we made the right decision by, by just saying, you know what, for this especially, I know we use things you know, produced in China all the time, but for me, I wanted to, I wanted to not um, create that affiliation. Jonathan, I, uh, I have profound respect for you. I have no idea what you do, really. I've never seen you play a game. <laughs> but I have tremendous respect for what you stand for and the fight uh, that you fight every day and the stand that you take. So congratulations on this. And uh, it has started with you, and it will end with us. Unitas is the name of the product. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Jonathan Isaac, and again, we are Unitas.com. We are Unitas.com. That's another way to show Nike and everybody else, yeah. I mean, now there's a good product out there that you can get. Uh, it speaks to your values, and you know, hopefully Nike will see uh eventually um you know kind of a bud light kind of action against them not because we're boycotting them just because i i don't we don't need you we have something that stands for our values we are unitas.com na, na, na.